Hey, what's up? This is Christopher Stolle of Realm of the Mist Entertainment. The podcast you are listening to is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com. That's s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and information on those shows, as well as information and an ability to contact publicist Steve Joyner for more information. Just go to the website and check out the family, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, enjoy the show. Thank you for listening and welcome to the Life Radio Show, a proud member of the SJ Network and Breaking the Fourth Wall Entertainment. I'm your host, Don Smith. It's take two for my interview attempts with actor Dave Gaylor. We talk westerns, local theater, and our beginnings in acting. I even remembered to record the show. If you enjoy the show, like and follow the Life 1069 on Facebook and Don Smith Comedy on Twitter, or tune in live on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. Or you can stream the show live at www.su1069.org. The brutal presence overwhelms me. The brutal presence overwhelms me. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. All right. Hey, welcome to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are uh, we are, we are are not live anymore. We are still recording uh, thanks to COVID-19. Still stuck at the house. They won't let me back in the studio. I just I just don't know what they're doing in that place right now. And it's, uh, I think they just using, they're, they're using this as an excuse to lock me out. That's that's what I think at this point. But anyway, we're going to have fun anyway. Uh, Dave Gaylor, uh, actor Dave Gaylor, is on the line with us through Zoom. What's happening, Dave? Well, not too much with all this COVID uh, stuff going on. There's been some activity in the, in the film industry, but pretty much theater has been shut down across the board, including Broadway and, uh, and of course, the community theaters. A lot of those, in fact, most are shut down as well. So yeah, it's been, been a very interesting year, and I think people are kind of looking forward to maybe January um, to have at least a partial season, but that remains to be seen, and that's entirely up to each theater to decide what they're going to do in terms of uh, programming and, and opening up. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I miss that. That's that's what's but the bad thing is I started off the beginning of this year, I was going to take some time off from comedy, so I could start doing some theater again. I was wanting to do that a couple times this year, and then COVID nineteen can't do anything. So mm-hmm. you're right, right? Because I I, I have not done I, I have not been on stage doing theater since I think 2010. Oh, so about uh, ten years. Yeah, about ten years, and I I really miss it. Mm-hmm. I really do. Because I, I I love doing the movies, but I, I much prefer doing I, I much prefer theater. I think it's been about five years or so since I've been in theater as well. So uh, we had moved from uh, Dayton, Ohio, where um, where I grew up and, and was also um, had the chance to begin on stage there with the Dayton Playhouse. And then about three years ago, we moved to Springfield, Ohio, get closer to the grandkids and what have you. And uh, I've been look, keeping my eyes open for opportunities and so on. But uh uh, it's kind of it's more sparse up this way as opposed to uh, down in the Dayton Dayton area down in the south. Yeah, I don't I don't know of I don't know of any. Th- does Springfield have any theater? They or? they do. Uh, there's the Clark State uh, Performance uh, okay. Arena up here, if you will, and uh, there are some opportunities. There's over in Xenia. Xenia's yeah, got the, the theater. Yeah, the the X Act over in yeah, Xenia. Yeah. Exactly, and then there's. Uh, Fairborn, so they are nearby, about a 20 minute to half hour drive, so to speak. So I'm not saying they're not there, but uh, of course, it's all moot with this COVID situation. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. La- last fall, I actually auditioned over at the uh, Xenia Community Theater because they were doing, uh, well, Saul Kaplan was redoing uh, uh, what <laughs> it's on my wall, Catfish Moon. <laughs> oh, yes, uh-huh. which uh. I, I was in when he first did that at Dayton Theater Guild. I played oh. Curly. 
Ah, okay. And uh, so when he was redoing it, I actually went over there, and there were a couple of the other people that were involved in that original production were there as well. And uh, I, I didn't, I didn't want to shave my beard, so I didn't get cast. Ah, I see, I see. <laughs> but we have the first thing he asked me. I was like, nope, the beard's staying. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we happened to see that production. It was very, very well done over there. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, Saul does a great job directing. I uh, he actually, when I first started in community theater, is back in uh, two thousand and one mm-hmm. with uh, Dayton Theater Guild. I did a uh, okay. show that he directed called uh, Epic Proportions, ah. which actually, I believe that opened the week after September eleventh, two thousand one. Ah. So yeah, Saul, that was a, Saul is a legend in Dayton. He's he's the consummate director and actor himself. He goes back oh, so yeah. many years. He's well thought of. He's a pinnacle in the Dayton play at the Dayton Playhouse and around the theater community. So yeah, you're right. And I had the good fortune to be in a couple shows with him as well as be directed by in an independent. Uh, uh, it's called Future Fest, where they bring in brand okay, new yeah. plays. And uh, one was called Four Beers. He directed that, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I've I've worked with him in a number of shows, and I always, I always enjoy working with Saul. Mm, mm, yeah, and I I've worked with you in a couple of projects as well. We we yeah. got to uh, we got to work on on Western World, which was originally uh, Dead Husband in a Western Town. That's right. We cut our Western teeth together. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you were the uh, I think you were the uh, uh, the boarding ha- not the boarding house, but you yeah, were the, you were uh, the blacksmith, right? Yeah, I, I had the blacksmith and the uh, the livery stable. Ah, yes, yes, yes. yes. And I had the, I had the good fortune to be the town doctor, it, and that was a fun show. That uh, that shows out on streaming, uh, but it's more of um, it's more of a Gunsmoke meets uh, Mayberry meets. It, it, it's a fun western with a with a good good story to it. It's got a little suspense to it, but I think unfortunately it was. Uh, when it was produced by the distributors, they kind of kicked it up a notch in terms of gun shooting and uh, and what have you, and kind of uh, it wasn't presented in the right way in terms of what the audience could expect. But it was a fun show, fun film to do down there at Dogwood Pass. Right? Oh yeah, that, that I I really enjoyed working on that. I enjoyed watching it, and uh, I I put it to, as a uh, kind of a, a western murder mystery. There you go. More yeah. than anything else, is it? We, I, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. We discussed all this <laughs> uh, last week, and I didn't record any of it. So we're <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, Dave, I have a terrible memory, so I don't <laughs> memory about what <laughs> exactly did we have we talked before? <laughs> this is brand new to me. <laughs> uh, but we we also got to work together on with the Dayton Writers Movement with the Unwritten Podcast a That's year right. so it was a year a year or two years ago. Uh, well, I was in their first year. I think it's they're on year number three. So I, I had the good fortune to be in year number one and year number two. Small parts, but it, it was a fun group to uh, to uh, podcast with. And this, if people aren't familiar with it, it's a Dayton based podcast that. That basically presents a saga story, if you will, uh, and all three shows are just pretty amazing. And uh, in fact, it's international. The podcast is being well received in Sweden overseas. And uh, so, if they ever get a chance to, uh, any of the listeners get a chance to tune in on a pod on a podcast, they you know they might be interested in that. Hidden people would be a good one to tune in on. Yeah, I, I haven't listened to Hidden People. I I, uh, I listened to all of uh, well both seasons of Unwritten, which was Unwritten? the first two yes. years they did Unwritten, and then this mm-hmm. year they did uh, uh, the Hidden People. Right. Which I, I got to be part of the uh, second uh, season of Unwritten. I got to play the character Chuck, who was uh, oh. he was he was a lot of fun to play. He <laughs> was kind of. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was. I'm sorry. Oh, you're you're fine. He he was the manager at the box store that was just not very. Uh, he was a little tired of being a manager, I think. I see. I see. I, I got to be Ernest Hemingway in year one. So. You can't beat that. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you get to be Ernest Hemingway, that you know that's. That's right. I'd say go for it. It's probably Dick worth. Heavy, it. right, and fight. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's. Uh, 
I need to do more writing. That's pretty <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> So how did you get started in acting? I know you, you mentioned uh, you started in the Dayton area, but uh, yeah, how did you get I, started um, in it? I did uh, a number of things over. I've always been kind of a performer. I'm a musician. I play drums. And so I performed in front of people a good part of my life, but never really did the authentic theater um, task until probably around 96, 19, uh, 1996. Okay. And uh, at that point in time, I had taken a class and then I auditioned for a um, uh, theater production called Solid Gold Cadillac. And it was a great comedy at the Dayton Playhouse. And I was cast in a um, supportive role, really enjoyed it. And since then, I've done a number of theater theater programs around uh, around the community uh, and so on. You know, theater Guild, uh, Dayton wow. Theater Guild, uh, Beaver Creek. Um, and what have you, a number of them, and just really enjoyed the experience. And then in 19, or rather 2012, I'm sorry, uh, got cast in my uh, first film, which was The Watchers. And that's that's on streaming too, but that was a, a supporting role. And once I did that, I really kind of, although I did some theater, I really liked the film uh, aspect of, uh, of the work. And so I've been kind of leaning towards independent films and and what have you um, since that. So you're, you're more of a, you, you prefer film to theater because I'm, I'm the opposite. Well, it, it's a different uh, venue, of course, you know that. Yeah. And uh, uh, it, uh, the film for me captures the, to me, the intimate moments, not saying you don't have intimate moments on stage, but it's, uh, it's a little more projected, if you will, a little more um, expressive on stage because it has to be because you're, presenting to the back row as well as the front row. Right. More, more exaggerated. Yes. I like the intimacy that a camera can bring to the situation and just the nuances and things like that. It's, it's a challenge as an actor to come across as a believable character. Not saying you don't theater, but in, right. in the camera, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You either have the role and you're doing well in it and you're believable to the audience or not so much. Right. When you transitioned from uh, theater to film, did you have did you have any issues dialing it down a little bit from the exaggerated uh, acting that you have to do in theater? Um, well, I think you 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 do have some bumps uh, originally. Initially, that's what the director's there for, and they'll tell you to uh, you know uh, take it back a little bit or uh, play it down a little bit uh, that it's a little more. Um, over the top and so you that's what a good director will do they've got a vision of what they see that scene how that scene is to look and they'll guide you the actor can the actor who's inexperienced can be guided by a director the experienced actors oftentimes once they get an idea of the motivation of what's going on with the character and they they know what the character wants in this particular scene they can uh, a good one will bring that forth right yeah. Right. Yeah. I think the more experienced an actor, the less the director has to worry about. Yeah. The, the director has to learn to trust him a little bit as well. Yeah, there's give and take and uh, being open to ideas and so on. But the, with, when a push comes to shove, it always lays in the director's at the director's footsteps as right. to what that final product's going to look like. Yeah, I've worked with directors in film and in theater that want everything 100% their way. Mm -hmm. And I... I mean, I can work with them, but I, I always I, I enjoy a little bit of freedom, right? To uh, to find the character on my own. What's interesting too about uh, well, like anything, theater or film, is the, the 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 script itself. And so, a lot of people are trying to write scripts, and and some are doing excellent jobs, others not so much. But you know, to be a screenwriter, it takes a whole different direction than maybe a playwright. Right. And um, with the with screenwriting, uh, it's so refreshing when you have a have a script in front of you that just flows and that seems to make sense. It's got a good story. It hooks the audience from the beginning. And for the actors, it is so natural that it just rolls off you or rolls out of you in a way that helps promote your um, your character and your right. performance. And there are other scripts out there, not so much, that really you, you struggle with. And uh, the, 
the the ownership on the actor too is to be able to look at a script and determine is this a right script for me is it the kind of character i want to do um and also is it the kind of uh, is it written in a way that i can make this thing believable right regarding the character that i'm portraying yeah i i, I like a script that i i the, the the film set I'm on now, I always jokingly say that the, our script is a living, breathing organism yeah. <laughs> that is subject to change at any moment. Because uh, I learned, I, I work with Cinema Lexicon Productions a lot and William Lee, and I love him to death, but I, I've i worked with him for almost five years on, I think we're on like eight movies now together. Yeah. And I after the first movie I did with him, I have never printed a script because <laughs> we'll get the script and he'll say, "This is the final shooting script." And that first that first movie, he got me twice. Uh -huh. I printed up the whole script, and then the next day he's like, "Well, I made a bunch of changes," and I had to go print the whole thing out again. And like two days before we were on set, he had all these revised scenes, and it's like I'm not printing these anymore. <laughs> so I, d I don't print any any of my scripts from him anymore. I wait right. until the night before, right? And then I I print up all the revised scenes that are we're going to be shoot for that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean changes in and of themselves are important uh, if it, if it merits going into the story. But oh yeah, it can really throw an actor into a quandary you know in terms of uh not only knowing the dialogue but also incorporating in their own being and in the character to it, within the story because you're going one direction and all of a sudden boom you're moving another direction yeah so uh it can, it can be a challenge yeah we we had a uh that's a, with, with independent film with the low budget micro budget independent film you really have to be adaptable oh yeah yeah. I, uh, the, this past weekend, the, there was a character, the, the guy was playing my brother, and he he got the script the night before, but he really only got the audition sides. Mm. Nobody sent him a full script, so he had no idea the backstory of his character. He didn't even have the full scene we were shooting that day. Oh, my. Because, uh, you know, somebody dropped the ball along the line and he just didn't get that information. So before we were filming, I took him out of the room and I discussed with him for probably an hour uh, what the script was, what we were, who we were, what we were doing before we ever really actually looked at the script. So the, you guys didn't have a table beforehand, I take We did, but he we recast his part. Oh, I see like that week <laughs> so yeah it was a, it was a last minute recasting so we could continue filming and he uh, he got on set not really knowing anything of the story so we had to go over a lot but i mean he was he was professional when he came on he, he figured out what he needed to do and we got we got a lot of good a lot of good shooting done last week very good good yeah, that's that's one of the enjoyable things and the crazy things about the the micro budget indie film is how how quickly you have to adapt to things that are changing on set. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't be uh, inflexible. You have to you have to bend. Uh, you can't, or else you break. Right. Right. Yeah, and I, and I I've worked with a lot of different t styles of directors. Mm-hmm. And it's so I, I always find it so much fun that the differences in styles of different people you work with. Like for instance, yeah. William, he he doesn't do safeties. Sometimes if if he does one one take, if he likes it, you're done. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Which to me is a, is a little crazy, but if he sees it and he likes it, and he's like, well, what do I need to shoot another one for? Well, you know, uh, I know in the in the olden days, Jimmy Stewart did that infamous scene for "It's a Wonderful Life" at the bar when he just loses it. Remember? Have you seen that film, "Wonderful Life"? It's been a while, but yeah, it's, been a while. it's when he's having his nervous breakdown, and um, it's it was it's a very powerful scene, and uh, I believe the director said. That's it. I'm not going to get it any better than this. And they took it in one. <laughs> yeah. Special. Yeah. Yeah. But, and a lot of directors, they'll do safeties just in case they're watching the set, the take that they really like and, you know, just happen to notice a boom dip into the frame or something. 
exactly. that they didn't pick up the first time, which, I mean, you, you run into Easter eggs with some of the movies I've been in, which to me <laughs> is kind of fun too. <laughs> but then you have uh, on uh, Western World, Lana Reed, that opening scene. Yes. Uh-huh. That was, what, what was that, two and a half, three minute, just long take of the whole it was, town? It was five minute, it was a five minute one shot. Five movie. minute, yeah. And, and it, was, it was amazingly done. Yeah, yeah, this was, we, we had a couple, number of takes on it. But, yes, uh, <laughs> I remember we probably worked on that for about five hours that day. Uh-huh, that <laughs> steady cam, the steady cam took it from beginning to end, and it was five minutes, and yep. uh, it's pretty special. That's quite a oh, feat yeah. for any movie to do a long scene like that. Yeah, it, it, it was, it was, extru- when, I, when I first saw the final shoot of that the final scene of that with that five minute long take i was extremely impressed with that because i mean it was everybody knew what they were doing everybody i mean we went through it several times but it worked out perfect it did i mean lana did a great job directing i mean you got a hand to her she's she is she is one of the uh, leading lady directors in this region she's based i think out of cincinnati and she's still shooting and involved with film and and uh, other productions and uh, this was quite a coup for her to to direct and work with Brian Dobbins out of Cincinnati who wrote the Western he's written a couple books he's a very good writer and uh, so it's special I think for all, everybody in that particular film it was special because for many of us it was our first Western and those were that was the theme that we kind of grew up as kids on Saturday morning watching at the movie theater the Western shows and that and yeah. we all dreamed that we'd be a part of something like that one day and Dang it, if Lana didn't make that dream a reality for all of us. So, kudos. Oh, absolutely. So it, it, was, it was my second Western. Ah. Because when I started back in, I, I did one film when I first started acting. I did one film uh, back in 2004, 2005, I think, is when we filmed The Monster's Mind. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do another film until 2015. Oh. So I went, yeah, it was almost 10 years that I didn't really do a lot of acting at all. Hmm. And then in 2015, I re-entered the film world with uh, Henrik Kuto's Calamity Jane's Revenge, oh. which uh, that I got I got to be killed by the my first time getting killed by the lovely Aaron R. Ryan. I think she has killed me two or three times since in other movies. But <laughs> <laughs> was that, uh, was, was Titus Wolverington in that? Yes, yes, Titus, Titus was in that one. <laughs> I've been in a couple with Titus as well. Titus and I were in the Watchers together. Titus had the lead part. He's out in California now. He's out in L.A. Oh, is he? I didn't know that. Yeah, he moved out there, I believe, last year. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Hopefully doing well out there hopefully, through COVID. You know, so, and I hope the smoke isn't bothering him out there. Oh, yeah. That's, that's terrible out there right now. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know way too many people out there that are struggling through that. Yeah. With everything else going on. Exactly. But, exactly. but yeah, I, I didn't know Titus was, was out there. I, I've mm-hmm. been in a few movies with him through uh, Henrik. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. He's, uh, he moved out there with his family, and uh, they've been out there since, I believe, last summer. So about a year. Oh, cool. So he... That's that's another thing that I always love about the local film scene is there's there's so many people tied together. You're always knowing somebody that worked with somebody else, and when you meet on set, it's like, oh, I we work with you in this, and a lot of times you don't even realize it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it it is a, it is a family network. You develop families uh, and and relationships, which are special. Yeah. And there are people there are people uh, that can be in the industry but never step on stage, but there's still so important to making a production and we're talking about from stage management to building the sets to all the related activities involved in theater people should focus on those and not just well i'll never be an actor i don't want to be up there on stage in front of an audience you don't have to be so you can still be a part of that network and family relationship that whole thing and by just volunteering being a part of a local community theater Absolutely. Yeah. And, and even with film, there are always, especially indie film sets, they're always looking for people behind the scenes. Exactly. Uh, well, 
for example, the one I've been working on, I'm I'm one of the producers. I ended up holding, I ended up doing the sound boom because we didn't have somebody to do it. <laughs> you become the jack of all trades sometimes. Yeah, that, that you you do what you have to do to get the thing done. That's really, right. which to me, that's the fun of it, and that's also the 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 night nightmare of it is <laughs> you right. never know what you're going to end up doing on it. Well, especially too, uh, like one of the roles that oftentimes goes unnoticed or maybe even not filled is the continuity director. Right. Because when a film is done, you have different scenes, different shots of a particular scene. That person's got to make sure when they change the scene or if they go back to that particular scene that everything is in its place as it was before. Otherwise, the audience can pick up on that. So the continuity person who's good with attention to detail will always have a place in film. Always. Yep, absolutely. And and again, that that's that's one that a lot of people don't think about that has to be done. It's absolutely critical, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and and on the independent film sets, everybody has to do that. There always has to, everybody has to be vigilant about what's you know. Were you wearing a watch when you did the scene before? Yeah. <laughs> All these other takes before we went to lunch. Where was the silverware on the table? <laughs> yep, did, did you have that pepperoni stuck to your face, or <laughs> is that something left over from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <True>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just got which, which for theater, it's you know, you it's a one-time shot. So you know, if you go out there with a pepperoni stuck to your face, it's just going to be there till it falls off. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and you never know. The thing with film too is you can cut and yeah. fix it, and then take up again. In theater, the exciting part about theater, the adrenaline part, uh, and never knowing what's going to happen. I'll give you, a, can I give you an example of what happened to me once? Absolutely. I was playing in a theater role. I was playing, uh, the name of the theater uh, production was Sarah and Eleanor. And it was a story about uh, FDR's wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, and his mother. And apparently the story um, relates to their the historical fact that those two didn't get along at all. Well, be that as it may, I had the role of being FDR's right-hand man, Louis, uh, what was his name, Louis Howe maybe, or Louis, anyway, I, I can't remember the name, um, but anyway, I had to sit in a, um, a, a lounge, a, a love seat, uh, and um, at one point, I was to go over, sit down in the lo- a love seat, and address Eleanor, and uh the, the mayor of New York, the character who played that role, um, was 230 pounds or 250 pounds. He was a big guy. Mm-hmm. He goes over and he sat on the uh, love seat first. Not a problem. At that time, I was maybe 200, so I was 50 pounds less than he was. I went over, sat on the chair, and busted through the, uh, the chair to where my knees were at my eye level. And I think the audience wasn't sure if this was part of the play or not. And the other actress goes, uh, are you okay, Louis? Which was not in the script. And I said, yes, I am, Eleanor. Now, where were we? And off we went again. Yeah. I struggled to get out of that love story. Yeah, you got to love stuff like that. When you oh. just got to keep going with it. That's, that's the fun part. Yeah, See, I, I did a show... Uh, Years ago at, the, at Brookville, Brookville Community Theater, yes, right. uh, I played Owen Musser in The Foreigner. Oh, okay. Which uh, at one point, uh, my character of Owen, I carried a, a very big lock blade knife with me ah. in my pocket. And there was one point where I, I open up a box that's that's one of our props. And I, I would always pull this big knife out because it just looked mean. And I'd open that box up with it. Well, it was my own personal knife. And you're cutting through tape. You're going to get some gunk on the knife blade. So what I kept doing in rehearsals is when I'd open it, I'd wipe the gunk off the knife blade before I close it back up and stick it in my pocket. Well, we went out there on the set that night, and this is a very sharp knife. It's my own personal knife that I brought in. And I went to wipe that gunk off of there, and I sliced my finger open. Oh, man. Like probably about three inches of my finger. and that, oh. it was, it was, I should have probably gotten stitches, but I didn't. And this was at the beginning of the scene. Oh, God. Wow. So all I did is I just I just kept going on. I put my knife in my pocket and I held my I held my hand in a fist so people wouldn't notice. I mean, there 
did a little bit of dripping on the stage, but uh-huh. as soon as the scene was over, I ran backstage, cleaned it out, and taped it up real good. And they're like, "What happened?" They saw this trail of blood going up. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, you just have to roll with it sometimes. Yes, you do. <laughs> hey, speaking of Brookville Community Theater, which is just uh, west of Dayton, that is an excellent community theater, uh, and it's also in the round just like the Dayton Theater Guild is, where the audience is all around you. And uh, it's pretty special as opposed to a standard theater uh, set up where you have the audience in front of you. Yeah. yeah. It makes for a more intimate production. That's what I always loved about the old Dayton Theater when it was still over on uh, Salem Avenue. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. how it was. It was so such an intimate theater because I mean, you the stage ends and there are people's feet. You're right there. Yeah, <laughs> I on, always love performing there for that reason. Even on Sunday afternoons when the front row is asleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's, yeah. That that is definitely and and Brookville. Brookville is one of my favorites. It's a really mm-hmm. nice theater and they do a lot of really quality productions out there. Yes. So if anybody wants to go get, see some good quality theater, as soon as COVID's done and we're able to open up again, get out to Brookville Community Theater. They're fantastic out there. There you go. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're going to have to take a little break. And okay. uh, if, if you're going to stick around, Dave, since we are recording this time, I made sure <laughs> I made sure as soon as you got on the line, I'm going to hit record. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. All right. All right. Well, Dave's going to stick around when we come back on the life radio show. We're going to talk about some important news stories. So be sure to stay tuned in. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. So a lot of people ask me, Hey, how do I stay dribble and upbeat during these trying and difficult times? Well, the thing that keeps me going is just remember that uh, when it's all said and done, well, well, everybody, we're all, you know, we're all, we're all going to uh, die. We're all going to be just you're going. It's just you're. It's over. And you're you just die, and you're and uh, so you should just you know say, hey, screw you, people. I'm going to drum myself anyway while I'm here. And then uh, when I get to the next existence, we'll just figure that out when I get there. But for right now, I'm just going to have a good time. That's it. Have a good time. Now the clock says it's just past three, but it must be broken. I swear I have laid here for hours My throat feels as if I've screamed all day But I've barely spoken I don't see the point in starting now Now I know I will not forget you I can't see your face so clear anymore But those eyes Well, eyes just don't come in that color Or at least they should Now the clock says it's quarter to five my eyes won't open I guess another restless night for me And I'm stuck between needing to sleep To escape my emotion And avoiding dreams of only you I know I will not forget you But I can't see your face so clear anymore But those eyes Well, eyes just don't come in that color 
And it's not that I can't not love you I've all but moved on with my life for now But those eyes, those eyes, they haunt me still Sure, I could easily recall the shape of your smile, but that shade of blue it stays with me. Now I know I will not forget you, but I can't see your face so clear anymore. With those eyes, I just don't. In that color It's not that I can't not love you At all but moved on with my life for now But those eyes, those eyes, they haunt me still Hey, this is Don Smith. I want to take a minute to tell you about The Devil's Apple, a new book by my friend William Morris. It's the true and brutally honest story about Bill's own battle with addiction. It was written for those struggling to overcome addiction as well as those watching a loved one struggle. In Bill's own words, you work just as hard to be an addict as you do to be clean and sober. You can find The Devil's Apple on Amazon.com and for a limited time you can get it for free on the Kindle app. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Chris Fristali of Breaking the Fourth Wall. If you enjoy our show, you can find it on YouTube. Just look up Realm of the Mist Entertainment or just look up Realm of the Mist Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. And also you can find us on all the social medias. Just look for Realm of the Mist Entertainment. And I will catch you on the other side. All right, all right. I'll tell you what to do. Go that way, really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. All right, hey, welcome back to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are still tooling right along uh, with uh, Dave Gaylor on the line with us through Zoom. You still with us, Dave? I am. I am. You're still with us, and we're still recording. That's a win so far. So uh, are, are we ready to hit some news stories? We've got, we've got some, uh, I don't even know what we have. I haven't been looking, but we've got some stuff. Do we want to talk about some stuff? Well, what's in the news to, that's fit to print? This, <laughs> most of it these days is not, but uh, we'll go over this one. A suspect yeah, in Georgia, sure. a suspect in Georgia left his good luck behind when he abandoned a winning lottery ticket while fleeing the sheriff's deputies. The Cherokee County Sheriff's Office says a man had a Georgia lottery scratch game card worth $100 when he ran away during a traffic stop on I-75 on Monday. In a Facebook post, it offered a congratulations and invited him to claim the ticket at its office in Canton, about 40 miles north of Atlanta. The man who was not identified was later taken into custody, Sheriff Spokesman Captain Jay Baker told Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, Baker said the man was a passenger in a vehicle that was pulled over for a tag violation, and he ran into the woods. The lottery ticket was in his backpack that also had methamphetamine, according to Baker. Uh, The man can have the lottery ticket back, but the sheriff's office said it will keep the drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good he gets the lottery ticket back, because he's going to need it to, uh, uh, for something, probably to pay for bail. bail. I don't know if $100 will cover bail for methamphetamines uh yeah not sure sure, not sure i'm not sure what the i'm not sure what the average bail is for for somebody with meth possession (laughs) well we'll have to look that up i I don't think i want to know there are some things in this world i don't want to find out and that's one of them and that's one of them you know I, i try not to uh I try not to run from police and I try not to have methamphetamines in my backpack. <laughs> I try like hell to have winning lottery tickets in there, but that's, that hasn't worked out either. Right. Bring it. Uh, it brings a new definition of scratch and sniff. Right. 
<laughs> yep. That's <laughs> all right. Let's see what else kind of weird stuff we can find on here. Uh, reindeer herders in Russian Arctic archip archipelago. I, okay. I did get it out. Yeah. That word surprised me. I wasn't expecting it on there. I don't know why. Re reindeer herders in a Russian Arctic archipelago uh, have found an immaculately preserved carcass of an Ice Age cave bear, researchers said Monday. The find revealed by the, uh, by the melting permafrost was discovered on the uh, Lyakovsky Lyak Islands uh, with its teeth and even its nose intact. Previous scientists had only been able to discover the bones of cave bears uh, that became extinct 15,000 years ago. Scientists in the Northeast Federal University in uh, Yakutsk, I love that name. I, I love these names that I pick on these articles that I can't pronounce. Uh, the Premier Center for Research on Woolly Mammoths and Other Prehistoric Species hailed the find as groundbreaking. Uh, wouldn't that be icebreaking? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> in a statement issued by the university researcher, uh, here we go again, Lena Grigorivia uh, emphasized that this is the first and only find of its kind, a whole cave bear carcass with soft tissues. So they've got the whole bear now. They have the fur? Did it say they had the fur on it too? Uh, it said soft tissues. I don't soft know. If, yeah, that's, so it's, it's definitely got the muscle. I don't know if it would have had all the fur. Uh, some of it might have been frostbit, I would say. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, preliminary analysis indicated the adult bear lived 22 to 39,500 years ago. Wow. So, yeah, that's, that's an old bear. <laughs> I bet they could barely control themselves. Yeah, just just barely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. That's quite a that's quite a discovery, to be honest. With you. It is. It is. That's that's yeah. fascinating. It's kind of like what's Uti the Iceman. Oh yeah. I yeah. think it's you know that's not quite as far back, but still, that was what seven thousand years, something like that. Quite, yeah, quite a number of years. Yeah, that's crazy when they find stuff like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. A listing for a condo in Florida is going viral after pictures were posted showing off the unusual aspect of the decor. Uh, the walls and ceilings of the home are covered in Budweiser beer cans. Uh, Realtor Kristen Kearney said uh, she initially didn't want, didn't know what to expect when she received a call about the listing, listing the Lake Worth condo. Oh, Lake Worth, I used to live so close to there. I probably partied with this guy. <laughs> uh, they warned me that the home was wallpapered in beer cans, Kearney told Real Realtor.com. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder where in the world they found beer can wallpaper. The reality of the home turned out to be far stranger. The, quote, wallpaper was actually beer cans. Uh, Kearney, Kearney said the cans cover every wall and ceiling of the home except for the bathroom because that would just be unsanitary, I guess. Would, <laughs> were these cans after they crushed them on their foreheads or before? No, these these are full undented cans. And with somebody drinking that much in the house and decorating with them, how they kept them from being undented when they were on the walls is, is uh, just amazing to me. Wow. Because there are pictures. If you want to go to, this is on UPI.com. You can find this. It's a Florida condo for sale. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean. <laughs> Tell me why he didn't contact Budweiser to tell him about this. Because I'm sure... They'd have come down and shot some footage. And oh, yeah, they absolutely should have. This, they, know, he could have got something out of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, unless he, you know, unless he did, and that's where he got enough beer cans to finish. <laughs> could be. Yeah. yeah that's, years ago, uh, my brother's garage, he wanted something on the back wall of his garage, so we actually painted the full label Ooh. of a Budweiser beer can on the back of his garage. It was really nice. Who's the, were you or he, the, uh, was he the artist or you the artist? Or? Uh, he did, he did the layout. He did all the measurements and all the layouts and everything. I did the lettering because okay. I, I to do calligraphy and that kind of stuff. I did all the lettering on it because uh -huh. I, I was actually living in Florida near Lake Worth when he originally was started working on this. And when I moved back to Ohio, he had some of the lettering done, which looked hideous. <laughs> and I told him, I was like, dude, I can do lettering. Let me just paint over all that and I'll redo it freehand. Hmm. 
And it took a lot of convincing because he didn't want to paint over what he had because he was worried about me doing it freehand. <laughs> and when we got done, it looked awesome. <laughs> so yeah, he, he had a friend that did a lot of the artwork, a lot of the background artwork and the Budweiser, the Anheuser-Busch Eagle and all that. But yeah, it, it looked really nice when we got done, but it was not wall-to-wall beer cans. <laughs> well, that Although, does sound like quite a, quite a, quite a picture to see so you did the actual logo and i was a bush yeah we did we did the actual the actual label from the from the, oh, the can so that's pretty neat yeah without permission to do it we probably could have been sued we didn't do that <laughs> if anheuser-busch is listening yeah prove it <laughs> but no th- this is this is pretty neat but i will say my brother's first apartment when he was in his early 20s we pretty much had cans stacked from floor to ceiling we just didn't have them attached to the wall and running along the roof oh yeah at uh, interview intervals that looked like it should have been done that was probably before recycling right oh no dad dad would have had a fit because he he uh my dad recycles aluminum cans he he would have he would have had a fit he'd have a fit if he saw this this uh, condo because he'd want to recycle the whole place (laughs) (laughs) oh let's see what we got here there are some weird things going on, but we got to find out. <laughs> we got to find out what this one is. A pair of Idaho men broke a Guinness World Record when they together they t- together they managed to 108 toots from party blowers in one minute. <laughs> Define toot. Right, exactly. Define party blowers. <laughs> Uh, anyway, they, they're talking about the little the little noise makers, the the little flapping noise makers that oh, go on, they extend out with the little, you know, and that's the, the 100, 108 toots from party blowers in one minute. <laughs> uh, David Rush, who has broken more than 150 Guinness World Records to promote STEM education, teamed up with neighbor Jonathan Hannon to attempt the party blower record. Uh, Rush said his previous attempt, uh, he previously attempted the record for most toots from a party horn in one minute, team of two, with Andre Ortolf, uh, but Guinness officials disqualified the attempt after determining the blowers were not extending the full nine inches. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, better luck next time. Uh, Rush they, did, <laughs> they did 54 toots apiece in a minute. Right. Right, and it's and and your your tutor has to extend the full nine inches. The tutor has to extend the. Full- <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rush and Hannon used tape to mark the tables in front of them, make sure each toot was extended to the required length. <laughs> the two men were required to alternate blows during the attempt. Oh wow, that's. I, I have no words. Yeah. Well, if you want this again is on upi.com. You can go, there's a video and you can watch these men extending their tutors. <laughs> the full nine inches every time they blow. <sighs> didn't know what you were getting into. Did you Dave? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, shoot. That's funny. <laughs> All right, let's see what what other kind of silly stuff we can get into. I'm real I'm really digging into UPI right now. Yeah. Yeah, they uh but I've always wondered about a lot of these uh, Guinness World Record attempts because anymore they're just they just seem to I don't want to say they're getting lazy with them. It's just there's all you have to do is come up with something that nobody's actually done before. Yeah. And you'll hold the record at it. That's true. Although in Dayton, probably I want to say 25, 30 years ago, my wife and uh, this honest to goodness truth, my wife and I were behind the Dayton Mall. We were um, we saw a crowd forming, and we were out of Dayton Mall shopping, and we wondered what was going on. And apparently, and we got into it. Apparently, in the back, they had set up this big stage, and lo and behold, Chubby Checker was there. Now, I don't know why Chubby Checker was there. I don't know if he had a concert. But they had X number of people that they were getting in. And when they were getting in, they were counting. To do the the twist? We did the twist for the Guinness record. Nice. But 
That's the only time I heard about it. I've never checked Guinness back then to see if it made it, whatever. But they said apparently they had enough people to at least set it for that would last. Probably it lasted 30 seconds. Huh. <laughs> Before somebody else did a, a larger group, probably. So. Right, right. Uh, yeah, because that's. He was up there dancing. It's kind of cool. Yeah, because yeah, that 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 doesn't seem as weird as some of these things. I did not know there would be a two-person record for party horn tooting. Yes, I mean that's <laughs> like I said. It's just if you do something nobody else has thought of. But this the the, the one fella, like it said on in the article, he has broken a hundred and fifty Guinness World Records. Well, that's definitely something to toot your horn about. Exactly, exactly. And he, and he is doing it all for STEM education, which is nice. He's doing it for fundraisers and stuff like that, which is cool. There you go, yeah. Just, the, just a lot of weird records that he's broken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Massachusetts family's home security camera recorded the moment a man taking a nap next to his backyard pool was nudged on the foot by a curious bear. Hopefully it's not the cave bear that was, you know... <laughs> They reanimated when they brought it back from the Russian cave. Uh, the footage shows Matt Beat, uh, Bete, Bet, B-E-T-E. I don't know what that, he's just Beat. Uh, he was, that's why he was taking a nap. He was taking a nap next to the pool in the backyard of his Greenfield home when a bear wanders in through the open gate. The bear nudges him on the foot and then flees when the startled man wakes up. Uh, his, the, the man's wife, Dawn, said her husband kept his cool during the encounter. Yeah, he was asleep. Uh, Matt just stayed calm and he knew he had a chair and stool there to protect him if he needed it. He had stool there to protect him? Yeah, a chair and a stool. So he was going to be like a bear tamer because that bear would never get past that stool. (laughs) I guess somebody needs to explain to him what a bear is. Reminds me of an old Monty Python skit where the, the, the accountant wants to become a lion tamer. Oh, so see what you have there is in fact not a lion, that's an anteater. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, nudged him in the foot while he was taking a nap at the pool. If wow. that doesn't teach you to lock the lock the pool gate, uh, nothing will. To be sure. I didn't know bears would he must have lived near a wooded area, I would think, right? Yeah, it's out in Massachusetts. I'm I'm assuming he lived in a fairly wooded area out there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, at least it wasn't a grizzly. Yeah, that would have that would have been bad too, because I don't think that I think they would have just gone ahead and ate the foot instead of nudged it. And then some, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, let's see. Oh, here we go. This is a, exciting. We have a UFO story. A viral video circulating on social media Monday had some New Jersey residents convinced that they had seen a genuine UFO flying over their state. But the unidentified flying object just turned out to be the Goodyear blimp. (laughs) In a video shared on Twitter, a man filming the UFO expresses amazement at what he's seeing. Uh, (laughs) Look, the whole effing, the whole street has effing stopped. It's an effing flying spaceship. (laughs) <laughs> the man says, panning his phone around to show other dumbfounded New Jerseyans. That's kind of like a, uh, is that a double negative or is that an oxymoron? I'm trying to, anyway, uh, dumbfounded New Jerseyans pulling over <laughs> to the side of the road and getting out of their car to look at what was apparently just a blimp. Another person posted the video claiming that the UFO was flying over uh, Tetterboro airport. Uh, the, <laughs> And his quote is just as fun. Uh, this is literally, literally a effing UFO. <laughs> it's just floating. The ship was closer. It went up. A light was shining from it like a beam. This S, <laughs> it just effing flat. And it was moving in like circles, he said. Oh, it sounds like Jersey. <laughs> that's, that's Jersey for you right there, I guess. It soon became apparent that the blimp was indeed not a flying spaceship being operated by terrestrial entities. Oh. <laughs> the blimp must not be getting out that much anymore so people for people to not recognize it. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, I, th- I think isn't, isn't Trump boycotting the Goodyear blimp or something? Oh, <laughs> I think they came to terms. I think. Uh, no, did they? Okay, that's that's yeah. good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did yeah you ever, speaking of the blimp, did you ever see the uh, 
remember the old television series uh, WKRP in Cincinnati? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Turkey Drop. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I I think we've discussed this a few times in news stories on this show before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's here's another fun one. Let's see what we got here. This one I've I've seen this one a couple times. I've never actually read it. Uh, and <laughs> now that's how you make an interest. A TikTok user's video went insanely viral after her own mother crashed through the ceiling in the background of the clip, reportedly while looking for a piece of luggage in the attic. <laughs> uh, Liz San Milan, who goes by Lizzie Jane on TikTok, uh, says she was practicing a song for an audition at the New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts, where she would soon be attending school when her mother made an unexpected appearance from stage north. Uh, there was a loud noise. I turn around, and all of a sudden, my mom's leg was <laughs> through the ceiling. Uh, my dad said, "Did she? Did she just fall through the ceiling?" And my mom said, "You're not going to ask if I'm okay." <laughs> she was a little sassy about it, actually. <laughs> uh, in the video, Sam Milan is singing a song from the stage version of Heather's when the ceiling behind her pops up, and her mother's leg, along with some insulation, poke through. Uh, <laughs> that's wow. yeah that's that'll ruin your day right there just <laughs> <laughs> mothers falling through ceilings that's, that's right that's right it's a whole new category of tiktok videos <laughs> see we, we've talked about florida a couple times and i, I might have told this story on here before but uh years ago i was when i lived in florida i was like in my early 20s i was night manager of a holiday inn down in West Palm Beach, which is crazy enough. But uh, I got a call. I left at like 1 o'clock that morning. Uh -huh. I get home. I'm getting ready to go to sleep. It's like 3 in the morning, and my night auditor calls me and says, dude, I need you to come back into the hotel. I said, why? He's like, well, the police are here. I was like, what does that have to do with me? <laughs> <laughs> he said, some dude just fell through our lobby ceiling. I said, yeah. I said, shut up. I'm going to sleep. Because <laughs> here's the thing. We had 30-foot ceilings in our lobby, and we had marble floors. Oh, my. Wow. And he said, no, seriously, somebody just fell through our lobby ceiling. The police want you to come in since you're our manager. So I was like, all right. I got dressed. I went in there. And, of course, the whole time I'm still thinking he's full of crap. I get there. The police are there. I look up, and there's a little man-sized hole in the lobby ceiling right between a couple of our pillars. Uh, so I get the full story. Apparently this guy, he was on something, clearly. Apparently he broke into our ceiling through our workout facility, mm. which is on the next floor, and he started climbing around because, of course, it's on the next. It's very high ceiling, so part of the second floor is also part of the ceiling anyway. But he... Uh, <laughs> he gets lost in the ceiling and had, has no idea how to get back out. So he figures he'll just kick a hole through and drop down. Thinking it's uh, about an eight foot drop. Right. Not realizing he's 30 feet in the air. Oh my goodness. My night auditor is checking a guest into the hotel and he starts hearing this banging around. He just assumes, cause you know, the next floor up is our banquet area. He just figures the banquet people are working there late, setting up for something in the, in the morning. So he doesn't think anything of it till he starts seeing plaster <laughs> falling out of the ceiling. Then he sees somebody's foot come through. And he said, the guy, the next thing, the foot went back up and the guy poked his head through and said, catch me and I'm going to fall. And he said, I just looked at him. I was like, catch you? F you. <laughs> the guy fell head first out of our lobby ceiling 30 feet high and landed on marble floors on his head on his head jumped he up and ran out of the building oh he jumped up and ran out jumped up and ran out of the building i'm not <laughs> i am not kidding <laughs> i read all the reports cuz of course i had to be part of it cuz i was manager and i couldn't believe it either cuz this guy was this guy was on something he had to yeah, it, and it continues because our bellman, our our, uh, our van driver, uh, had just recently gotten back from pick when this happened. He was picking a, a flight crew up at the airport, 
and he gets back in and he's on the phone with the cops as this, this after this guy came crashing out of there and he's on the phone with dispatch and they say to him, well, hold on a second, sir. I think he just jumped into one of our cars. <laughs> he apparently tried to flag down a fire truck that was on, it had its lights on, was on the way to a fire and they about run over him. And he, he managed to flag down one of the cruisers that one of the police cruisers that was behind the fire truck. And as soon as they stopped, he opened the door and jumped in. <laughs> Which locks right behind him. Right. There's no <laughs> way to get out. Yeah. Apparently he jumped in screaming. Somebody was chasing him. It's like, well, yeah, somebody's chasing you. You just destroyed our lobby ceiling. <laughs> and we don't know if you're still actually alive. <laughs> now that's karma. That's yeah. Karma. <laughs> so yeah you never know if if we if we'd have had tiktok and camera phones back then we could have got that that would have gone viral i guarantee you oh my goodness <laughs> you know like a two-story two stories is what 16 feet right so or, yeah 16 or 24 i mean and he fell on his head that's amazing yeah, yeah. i mean i i'm sure it was mostly shoulder i don't think it was solidly oh. on the top of his head but Wow. I don't. I don't understand how <laughs> how he jumped right back up. It was insane. Just to, to hear the story. That's that's why I told him. That's why I told my auditor. I was like, uh, "Shut up! I'm going to sleep because I didn't buy it." <laughs> it's like, yeah, this didn't happen. Just just be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Be sure. All right. We'll do one more news story before we wrap up. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's see. I, I, I like these news stories, but I don't like the way they're set up. So let's see. Let's see if I can figure out what's actually going on with this one. It's hard to believe that Just Born Quality Confections, the cursed candy manufacturer, makes a profit. It seems the post-holiday discount shelves are always heavy on marshmallow and light on Cadbury. Those mini eggs are the world's best candy. Uh, change my mind. Uh, <laughs> that's not me speaking. That's uh, anyway. What is the point of this? This is like this is like an op-ed. I'm not reading that. I want news, not other people's opinions. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's let's see what else we have here because that that one wasn't working for me. I think I'm going to just close out that uh, that news uh, site altogether because it's not that it's not correct at all. Yeah. Uh, Indo Pacific Indo Pacific humpback dolphins also known as white dolphins or pink dolphins, have returned to parts of the Pearl River Delta in Hong Kong, and their resurgence is being attributed to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, researchers say the number of these dolphins off Hong Kong has jumped 30% because of the pause in ferry traffic in recent months. The dolphins moved back into parts of the river they once avoided due to the ferries that would carry passengers from Hong Kong to Macau. Uh, yeah. Marine scientist Lindsay Porter of the University of St. Andrews said, according to Reuters, ferry traffic was suspended in March, which also allowed scientists an opportunity to study how underwater noise affected their behavior. Mm. So there you go. Another That's positive. Another yeah. positive of the coronavirus. Yeah, there's always a... There's always a bright edge to every dark cloud, so to speak, you know, and I think that's interesting that by, and I know that, that, that's, those are major boats going to Macau. That's the, I believe, oh, yeah. the gambling island. So there's a lot of activity and they have these big hydroplanes that, that go over to that island. So I bet it scared the daylights out of the dolphins. Yeah. And if yeah. they shut down, shoot, I bet the dolphins said, hey, we're home free. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we can go home now. We can go back to where we belong. So yeah, that, that, I think there have been a lot of instances where there are there are some uh, some of the animals that are able to go back to places where they haven't been able to for a long time, and I think yeah. that's you know that's I guess a positive of coronavirus. That if you if you're gonna if there's going to be a positive, at least in the animal kingdom, they're uh, they can at least feel that they have us on the run now. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, Dave, I'm going to give you a couple minutes. If you have any social media, if you have any upcoming projects uh, that you want to talk about or any recent projects, I'm going to give you a few minutes to uh, promote whatever you have to promote. All right. Oh, well, the, the only thing I've got a couple things in the works, but the one thing that's coming up the end of the year that uh, it's an indie film that I've had the pleasure to be a part of over the last couple of years. We, we just finished the final B footage of shooting and some pickup shots this past month. 
but it's coming out uh, probably hopefully by the holidays if not the first part of, in january it's going to be called brimstone saint hmm. and um it's really going to be a special western uh, i don't know what the plans are for release but it's going to be a unique western in and of itself because there's a lot of mystery to it um there's some interesting uh there's going to be some incredible um um, FX involved in the uh, in the film, and uh, Bill uh, Bill Oberist is the star of the show. And Bill, for for those who are familiar with the horror industry and so on, Bill's a a major part of that. And um, we had the good fortune to work with him at Dogwood Pass, which is the western town that we've been talking about with the previous westerns you and I were involved. In, right. Which is located outside Chillicothe, down in Beaver, Ohio. And uh, we had the good fortune to work with Bill, and it's just going to be a, a really neat Western, so I want uh, listeners to keep their eyes open for that when it comes out uh, later on this year, first part of 2021. Nice. All right. And and everybody, be sure to check out Dogwood Pass at some time. You can find them on Facebook. They have a really, really fascinating little Western, uh, Western town, Western village out there that's all pretty much hand built. Uh, they're not just storefronts like we had discussed uh, in the show that didn't get recorded. <laughs> they're, they're not just storefronts. These are actual buildings and uh, they have added on quite a few since I've been there. I know. So it's, uh, and, it was, and it was impressive yeah. then. Including the Roy Rogers museum is down there. Yes. Yeah. And I, I believe he also does, uh, does, does frog still do the concealed carry classes out there as well? Yes. Yes, he does. Okay, yeah, because they have the, uh, I can't think of the name, but he does have, they does have a gun shop out there and all that. So it's a, yeah. it's, it's a really cool place to go hang out. They do shows there on weekends. So definitely check them out on Facebook and see, see about going out there to catch a Wild West show. Absolutely. All right, Dave, thanks for coming on. We actually recorded this one. So, <laughs> so yeah, I did my job this time, Dave. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show. As I keep telling you guys, if you're going to keep listening, I'm going to keep making them. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show podcast. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, if you want to listen live, we are on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. You can also stream the show live at WWSU1069.org, and we go Facebook Live at the Life Radio Show's Facebook page. If you have suggestions or comments, feel free to email thelife1069 at gmail.com. Overwhelms me. The brutal presence. Oh, wouldn't that be the cat's pajamas?